Boyle. We're going to press on here with this uh, series in the parables. Years ago, well, it was a while ago anyway, some parents were amazed to hear their five-year-old daughter, Lindsay, telling her little friend about Jesus. Five-year-old Lindsay telling her friend about Jesus. The children, the two of them, were sitting on the front steps of their house, and the parents had tiptoed up to the window so they could hear a little bit better. Lindsay told her friend that if she believed in Jesus and prayed, he would forgive her sins, and she would go to heaven. Well, the little girl was convinced, and she prayed. And when she was done praying, she looked up at Lindsay and asked, Well, will my mommy be in heaven too? And Lindsay thought for a moment and replied, Yeah, if she believes in Jesus. But if you don't want her, don't tell her about Jesus. <laughs> and we can laugh at that, but it's true. It's funny, but it's true. And it's a little bit sad that um, if we don't tell people about Jesus, they're not going to be in heaven. They won't be in heaven. Well, today's message deals with a very important topic, and that topic is other people's willingness or unwillingness to accept and apply the truth of God's Word. And what's at stake is really the eternal destiny of other people. It's a very serious issue. Um... The message today also deals with me, though, as a Christian. I think sometimes we would go through this parable, and we're kind of quick to point the finger at other people outside of the church. But really, this parable deals with me as a Christian also. Sometimes my heart condition, my soul condition, my inner man, and that's what goes in that first blank there, is not quite what it should be. And so, here's, here's what I want to do. As we go through this message today... I want to challenge you to do a personal inventory of your own heart condition. We, this kind of came up in the Bible study this morning. In fact, um, uh, we were talking about what we need to do to grow in our faith. And um, Barb Roby brought this up, is that we have to somehow, once in a while, do a personal inventory. And we do. And that's what I'd like for us to do today as we go through this message. Uh, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, a committed Christian, do an inventory on your own and make some changes uh, if you need to. So truly, the song we sang, Open the Eyes of My Heart, Lord, that's what we want to do today. I read about a lady who was, uh, had this hearing problem, and one day she and her husband were driving from Tennessee to Little Rock, Arkansas, and they were pulled over by a state trooper. And uh, the state trooper asked the husband if he knew how fast he was driving. And the wife asked, remember she couldn't hear very well, what did he say? And the husband replied, he asked if I knew that I was speeding. Well, looking at the driver's license, the trooper said, I see you're not from around here. And the husband said, no, 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 we're from Memphis. And the wife again asked, what, what did you say? And the husband told her, I, I said, we're from Memphis. Well, the state trooper then commented, you know, the meanest woman I ever met was from Memphis. And the wife again asked, what did he say? And the husband replied, he thinks he knows you. <laughs> How many of you here today are good listeners? You know, I think sometimes we think we're good listeners. We think probably we're better listeners than we are. They, they, they tell us that women tend to be better listeners than men. There were two older men, and they were talking one day, and one of them said, My wife talks to herself a lot. And his friend answered, Well, mine does too, but she doesn't even know it. She thinks I'm listening. 
too often we feel we're listening to what God is saying to us, but really we only hear what we want to hear. And that's just the way it is. And we really have to strive to, to listen to what God is telling us. Today I want to challenge each of us to truly listen. Truly listen to what God has to say. Here's our text, Luke 8, 4 through 15. So let's read this together. Luke 8, 4 through 15. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus, from town after town he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on rock. And when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seeds fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. And he said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that those seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in time of testing they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce the crop. Jesus very clearly in this parable explains what he's talking about. We don't have to guess as to the purpose of this parable. Jesus plainly states that the seed in the story represents the word of God. I, I like the New Living Translation. It says the seed represents God's message. God's message to mankind. And I like that translation because the word message implies that the sender had a reason to communicate with the receiver. And in this case, it was the gospel. It was the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. Ultimately, that is the purpose for God's word, God's message, to lead all men to salvation through Jesus Christ. But the whole point of the parable is to explain that we must be willing not only to hear God's message, not only to hear it, not only to hear the gospel, but we also need to, and I quote, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. And this implies action. By the way, this is a great description of faith, our belief put into action. Now, the culture of Jesus' day was an agrarian culture. That is, people lived off the land. They farmed. And as Jesus told this story of a sower, it's quite possible that his listeners looked out into the fields and they could actually see a man sowing seed or scattering seed. It was a, a familiar scene in Palestine. In contrast to the way we plant seed today, the farmers in Jesus' day... They 
usually plowed their fields after sowing the seed. The grain was scattered on the ground from an open basket, which was replenished from a large sack of seed that was tied to the back of a donkey. And the seed was then plowed into the ground for protection and germination. Now, when, when Jesus explained the parable to his disciples, we, we learned that he was trying to teach them and us what will happen when we share the gospel with other people, when we share the truth of God's word, his message. The seed represents the word of God. When we share the gospel with others, we're sowing the seed of God's word into their lives. We refer to the story as the parable of the sower, but we ought to call it the parable of the soils. The parable of the soils. Because the focus of the story is on the four kinds of soil that represent four kinds of, of hearts that we're going to encounter when we share the gospel. The truth is that many will not accept God's message of salvation. Or once they have it, they're going to fall away from it. Jesus wants us to know that it's only those who not only hear the word, but also retain it and obey it that have truly implanted God's word in their lives. Number one, first point I want us to think about, the resistant here never accepts the truth. Never accepts the truth. When, when broadcasting the seed by hand, it was, quite poss- it was impossible to accurately control where all these seeds were going to fall. Some of the seeds would fall on hard, untilled ground along narrow paths that separated one field from another. And those seeds that fell on the path, this hard-packed soil, would either be eaten by birds, which would often follow the farmers as they sowed their seed, or it would be trampled underfoot as they walked along those paths. And either way, the seeds never sprouted. They never even had a chance to sprout. And I know this to be true. Not too long ago, I tried to plant some grass seed at our house. I don't know why, but I did. And it seems as soon as I put the seed down, the chickens found it and ate it up. It just didn't work. And the point is the same. The the point uh, here that that, that some people are are, are never going to even accept the message. They might hear it. It's there. The message is there. But they're not going to accept it. They're going to reject it. The problem is not that the message never reached the people. The problem is is that they never accepted it. They never embraced it. They never received it. They, They rejected it. The most sobering statistic there is in all of life is that 10 out of 10 people die. And the truth is that life as we know it will someday come to an end for each of us. And when it does, we will all give an account of our lives to God. The Bible says man is destined to die once in Hebrews 9, 27. And after that, it says to face judgment. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, for each of us must all be, appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That each one may receive what is due him for the things done well in the body, whether good or bad. In words we live by, a man by the name of Brian Burrow tells of an armed robber named Dennis Lee Curtis, who was arrested in 1992 in Rapid City, South Dakota. Curtis apparently had scruples about his thievery. In his wallet, the police actually found a sheet of paper on which he'd written the following code. Now get this, this guy's an armed robber, and here's his code. 
I will not kill anyone unless I have to. <laughs> That's good to know. Number two, I will take cash and food stamps, but no checks. <laughs> I will rob only at night. I will not wear a mask, number four. Number five, I will not rob mini-marts or 7-Eleven stores. Number five, if I get chased by cops on foot, I'll get away. If chased by a vehicle, I will not put the lives of innocent civilians on the line. <laughs> number seven, I'll rob only seven months out of the year. <laughs> and number eight, I will, I will enjoy robbing from the rich to give to the poor. This guy was an armed robber, and he came up with this code of of proper thievery, it looks like. So this thief had a sense of morality, but it was flawed. When he stood before the court, he was not judged by the standards that he'd set for himself, but by the higher law of the state of South Dakota. And likewise, when we stand before God, we're not going to be judged by a code of morality that we've, writ we've somehow come up with or written for ourselves. That's not how it's going to work. We're going to be judged by God's perfect law. And we're all going to be found guilty. And then after that judgment, the only way to escape the due penalty for our sin is by the grace of God. As revealed through the sacrifice of Jesus, his son. That is the only way. That is our only escape. Is the grace of God. We're guilty before God. Every, every one of us. Stand before God, and we're guilty. We're going to give an account for that guilt. We're going to be judged. But for those of us who know Jesus, we'll escape the penalty for our sin. Some people, even though they hear the truth, they re they're resistant to it. They never accept it. But isn't it interesting that many people come up with their own standard of truth, their codes of morality. They know there must be a standard of right and wrong, but they're unwilling to accept God's standard of truth, the gospel message. And so they kind of come up with their own somehow along the way. One that's a little bit more comfortable, easier to live by maybe. And so the hard-packed soil in this story... Along the path represents those people who hear the gospel, but they harden their hearts against it. They're, they're not interested. And Jesus said that when we harden our hearts, we make it easy for the devil to come and to snatch away the seed of God's word. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you know people like that in your life? They've simply hardened their heart against the word of God. They're resistant to the gospel message, the truth of God's word. Well, let me tell you something. In all honesty, that too often describes me. That's me. I'm the person who's hardened my heart against the truth of God's word. That describes me. And see, it's not just the folks out there. This parable is to us in the church just as much as it is to those out there. It applies to us as well. Are you actually hearing the message today. Are you actually hearing the message today? Number two, shallow here falls away from the truth. The shallow here falls away from the truth. Much of the soil in Palestine covers unseen layers of rock. And that rock pre prevents the plants from growing deep roots. And the seeds that fell on that kind of ground would, would spring up immediately. But as the plant developed, the roots couldn't penetrate the rock just below the soil. And these little plants would often appear healthier 
than those in the good soil because more of them showed above the ground as they grew faster. But after a while, the sun would scorch the little plants and because they lacked good roots, they would die. They were shallow, shallow. And because they were shallow, they would just wither. I spent some time in Egypt when I was in, in the army, and I know this to be true in that part of the world. As I recall, it seemed to me that everything was made out of rock. Everything was rock. And uh, if there was any good soil, any fertile soil, it was a precious commodity. If there was any, it was very shallow, shallow and unable to support, support plant life. And so... This kind of soil, this rocky, shallow soil, represents superficial converts. Well, they might look good on the outside for a little while. This reminds me of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law in Jesus' day. And Jesus can condemn these men for only looking good, only looking righteous on the outside. He says, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're, you're full of greed and self-indulgence. They look good on the outside. However, Jesus explained that when shallow converts face a time of testing, when things get tough and they have to take a stand for their faith in the the face of opposition, they oftentimes will fall away. The superficial here falls away immediately after trouble or persecution comes. And I believe the reason is that like the Pharisees, they're only committed to looking good on the outside. That's their commitment. It's shallow. It's superficial. At best. But keep in mind, it could be several years before this person is tested by those kind of trials. We must be very careful with what, you know, that, that, that in our faith, in, in our Christian walk, we need to be very careful that we do not encourage a shallow acceptance of the gospel by engaging in shallow evangelism. Let me explain. We must not hold out the blessings of salvation while hiding its costs. In other words, we must not be too quick to extend the offer of grace without proof of genuine repentance and a a willingness to obey. Obey Jesus, that is. And according to Dietrich Bonhoeffer, that's cheap grace. Cheap grace. Jesus once said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. There was a man by the name of Colin Smith. He said this, I have vivid memories as a kid of my father taking me to an auction sale, telling me, don't scratch your nose at the wrong time, son, he said to me. And yet he said, always remember this, whenever you go to an auction sale, make sure you know your upper limit price. That is ingrained in me, he said. The great danger for all of us, though, is that we walk into the Christian life knowing clearly our upper limit price. And he goes on to say, Jesus does not allow us to set that. Jesus said, if you save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake and the gospel's sake, you'll keep it. See, our calling is to a life of unconditional obedience. Where the price is unknown. It could be as high as God wants it to be. And Jesus once said, if you love me, you'll obey what I command. So, do you know people like that in your life? Their faith is very shallow. 
they easily abandon their commitment to Jesus. You know what? The truth is, too often, again, that describes me. That's me. I'm the person in this parable. Number three, the distracted hearer forgets about the truth. Forgets about the truth. Now, I've chosen that wording very carefully, and I want you to listen how the Apostle Peter describes this. He says this, and this is out of 2 Peter chapter 1, 5 through 9. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and perseverance godliness, and godliness brother, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. See, what he's describing here is an act of faith. Add to these things. Add to your faith. He's describing an act of faith. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, the ones he just described, they will keep you from becoming ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says this, But if anyone does not have them, these things he just listed, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he's been cleansed from past sins. He's forgotten. And so the distracted here forgets about the truth. What truth? That he's been cleansed from past sins. He's forgot the precious gospel message. He's, he's been distracted in a way that causes him to forget. And the third type of ground where the seed fell was infested with thorns and unwanted weeds. The soil might appear fertile at, uh, after it had been cultivated. But when the grain began to sprout, so did those thorns. So did those nasty weeds. These tough, thistle-bearing weeds would choke out the good plants by taking up most of the space, moisture, and nutrients in the soil. And I know this to be true. If you come to our garden in the summer, you'll see why. And if you don't pull up those weeds, those nasty little weeds, they have a tendency to simply take over, and they do. Weeds are very hardy. Weeds tend to rule. And they'll take over. And I find it particularly interesting that Jesus uses the word choke. <laughs> There's some weeds in our garden that do just that. I kid you not. They grow up and they actually grow up around the other plants and they choke the plants. They're nasty little weeds. They're determined little weeds. <laughs> I heard a fictitious story about a young hip man who bought one of the best cars around. It was a Ferrari GTO. And he took it out for a spin and stopped at a red light. An old man on a moped pulled up next to him. The old man looked over the sleek, shiny car and asked, What kind of car you got there, sonny? Well, it's a Ferrari GTO. It costs half a million dollars. Well, that's a lot of money, said the old man. Why does it cost so much? Because this car can go over 200 miles an hour stated the young man, and he stated it in a proud way. The moped driver asked, Mind if I take a look inside? No problem, replied the owner of the car. The old man poked his head in the window and looked around a little bit. Sitting back on his moped, the old man said, That's a pretty nice car, all right. Just then the light changed, and the driver decided to show this old man just what his car could do. And he floored it. And within 30 seconds, the speedometer read 160 miles per hour. And then suddenly, he noticed a dot in his rearview mirror. It was getting closer. And he slowed down to see what it could be, and whoosh, something whipped by him, going much faster than he was. 
What on earth could be going faster than my Ferrari? The young man thought to himself. And then ahead of him he saw another dot. Coming toward him again, whoosh, it went by. Heading the opposite direction and it looked like he couldn't believe it, the old man on the moped. <laughs> it couldn't be. How could that out, a moped outrun a Ferrari? And what's more, he thought he saw this, this little dot in his rearview mirror, followed by a bang <laughs> in the back of his car. The young man jumped out and saw the old man lying on the pavement. He ran up to him and said, is there anything I can do for you? And the old man whispered, just unhook my suspenders from your side view mirror. <laughs> Oh, boy. Well, here's the moral of the story. Here's the moral of the story. <laughs> Be careful of what you admire. <laughs> Be careful of what you admire. You know, food and, and, and shelter and clothing. And you know what, Mitch? I just thought of this. I could have used your car for the illustration. <laughs> it would have worked. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> food, shelter, and clothing... And human companionship, those are all necessities of life. But when our physical passions and possessions become the focus of our life, that's when the weeds and the thorns start to choke out the influence of God's Word, isn't it? That's what this is talking about. And that's why First John chapter 2 warns against loving the world or anything in it. So don't love the world or anything in the world. If the love, anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And it goes on from there. It's not that we can't or shouldn't enjoy the things of this world. No, God has given each of us different desires and passions. Some like sports and some enjoy reading books. Some like good food and some enjoy music. Some like hunting and fishing. Some like hiking or riding bikes. Now think about this. Like any father, God must delight in watching his children enjoy the things that he's given to them. There's nothing wrong with that at all. However, when we make those things, whatever they are, more important than God, that's when we run into a problem. You see, if you love anything more than God, you're simply involved in idol worship. And at that point, you've given your heart to the things of this world and not to God. Now, do you know people like that? They allow the things of this world to distract them or even derail them from their faith in God. And the truth is, too often, that describes me again. Lastly, last one here, uh, the receptive here multiplies the truth. The receptive here multiplies the truth. Some of the seed fell into good soil, it says. It was away from the path, and it was loose and soft soil. It had sufficient depth to support the good plants and it was free from weeds that would choke it to death and the Lord said that when his seed fell into this kind of good soil it would produce an abundant crop Jesus says that this person hears the word retains it and perseveres now this reminds me this is the kids verse James 1.22 and it says do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves do what it says again this is faith this is faith it's not simply hearing or even believing that matters. It's what we do because we have heard and because we believe. And Jesus says by their faith or because of their faith, because they retain the truth and persevere in it, they'll produce a crop. 
In another place, Jesus very clearly describes this idea of producing a crop or bearing good fruit. And he says in Matthew, chapter 7, starting at verse 15, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. And he says, by their fruit, you'll recognize them. Now, I'm just going to skip down for the sake of time to verse 21. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. That's the fruit. The obedient life. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And then I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, there it is, hears the words of mine, and puts them into practice, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. We cannot escape that. That is faith. Jesus teaches a very important principle here. It's not how much we know that matters. It's what we do because we know that matters. And I believe this is the number one problem with the church today. The church, the whole church, the Christian church. It's not that we don't know enough. In fact, most of us are force-fed the truth at least on a weekly basis. We know enough to significantly change our culture for Jesus Christ. However, the problem is, is that we're unwilling to actually do anything about it. I mean, that's the truth. We're unwilling to actually retain and apply the truth we already have. Perhaps some of you here are saying to yourself, well, John, that's not true. John, I do a lot with the truth I have. I don't want this to sound like I'm being negative here, but let me ask you a few questions. Well, then how many of us can actually say we love our neighbor as ourself? How many of us can actually say we love and pray for our enemies? How many of us have actually sacrificed anything lately, sacrificed anything lately, in order to further God's kingdom, whether it's our time or our money, or anything else for that matter. How many of us are actually doing all we can to live out our role in our marriage? The husband is a sacrificial leader, and the wife is a support and encouragement to her husband. How many of us are actually assuming full responsibility to disciple our own children spiritually, emotionally, and, and academically? I said responsibility. I know that's hard to hear. It's hard for me to say it. Because I'm just as guilty as anyone else here today. But how much we know is not near as important as what we do with what we know. And the difference between the good soil and the other soils was its condition. So my question is this. What's your heart condition today? Jesus said that the good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart. Those who hear the word, retain it, and persevering produce a crop. Our culture looks at and judges man by outward appearances. However, God looks at the heart. God is concerned with the inner man. And anyone whose heart is broken, loose, soft, anyone who is is willing to surrender to Jesus Christ on God's term is good soil. 
good soil. And initially, this starts with believing, repenting, confessing Jesus as Savior and Lord, and surrendering to Him in Christian baptism. But it continues as a lifelong process of ongoing, willing obedience to the will of God. And just as you can tell good soil by the crop it bears, so the ultimate mark of a genuine believer is the spiritual fruit in that person's life. The good fruit or the crop, the good crop that Jesus refers to, is a life marked by obedience. Simple surrender. And not great accomplishments. Let me say that again. This good crop, the good fruit that Jesus refers to, is a life marked by obedience. Simple surrender and not great accomplishments. Some of you may be saying to yourselves, how can I possibly be used by God in furthering his kingdom when I have so many flaws and so little to offer him? I heard an illustration about a house servant who had two large pots, one hung on each end of a pole that he carried across his neck, and one of the pots had a crack in it. And at the end of the long walk from the stream to the master's house, the cracked pot arrived only half full. The other pot was perfect and always delivered a full portion of water. For two full years, the servant delivered each day one and a half pots full of water to his master's house. The perfect pot was proud of its accomplishments, but the poor cracked pot was ashamed of its own imperfection and miserable uh, uh, was miserable over accomplishing over half of what it had been made to do. After two years of what perceived to be bitter failure, the crackpot spoke to the servant one day by the stream. He said, I'm ashamed of myself. I want to apologize to you. What are you ashamed of? asked the bear. For these past two years, I have only been able to deliver half my load because this crack in my side causes water to leak out all the way to your master's house. Because of my flaws, you don't get the full value from your work. And the servant said, as we return to the master's house, I want you to notice the beautiful flowers along the path. And as they went up the hill, the cracked pot noticed the beautiful wildflowers on the side of the path. And when he reached the house, the servant said to the pot, did you notice the flowers grew only on your side of the path and not on the other pot's side? That's because I've always known about your flaw. I took advantage of it, and I planted flower seeds on your side of the path, and every day while we walk back from the stream, you've watered them for me. For two years, I've been able to pick beautiful flowers to decorate my master's table. Boy, shame on us for focusing on our flaws in a negative way. You know, that just uh, represents a lack of trust, is what it does. Each of us has flaws, but if we allow the Lord to use our flaws to grace, uh, He'll grace His Father's table with our flaws. And I'm reminded of 1 Samuel 15, it says this, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the, the voice of the Lord? And it says, To obey is better than sacrifice. To simply heed is better than the fat of rams. God's not interested in your great offerings and accomplishments. He simply wants your obedience. Just do what you can, and God will turn your simple obedience into something beautiful. Trust Him. Trust Him in that. It works. That's all I can say. 
Well, that, that's it. Uh, I, I want to just maybe try to close this. Um, Jesus' teaching here really should encourage all of us to share the gospel. Um, however, this parable should also remind each of us to keep our own hearts broken and soft so that God's word can continually take root in our lives and his good fruit will grow in our lives. It is interesting, when the noted English architect, Sir Christopher Wren, was directing the building of a famous cathedral, some of the workers were interviewed by a passing journalist. He asked three workers the same question, what are you doing? The first worker said, I'm cutting stone for ten shillings a day. The second worker replied, I'm putting in ten hours of my life every day on this job. The third answered, I'm personally helping Sir Christopher Wren to construct one of London's greatest cathedrals. What are you doing? Are you just putting in your time at church? Or are you personally helping Jesus Christ construct one of the world's greatest kingdoms this world has ever known? Our instructions are simple. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. During your communion this morning, ask yourself if Jesus is Lord of your life, master of all that you are. And now is certainly the time to remake that commitment. The bread and the juice, they represent Christ's blood that was shed and his body that was broke for us on Calvary. And it's through his death, burial, and resurrection that we can have a relationship with the Father. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word and how it challenges us, and especially these parables. Help us, Lord, uh, to live our lives in a way that uh, we would uh, be like the good soil. That our hearts would be soft. And we would be eager, Lord, uh, to not only hear your word, but to retain it and to obey it and produce a crop for you. We love you, Jesus. Amen.